Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. When you look at resurrection morning at the tomb, you will find four different stories or accounts of what happened by four different people. You have Matthew's version, Mark's version, Luke's version, and John's version. And although they are in many, many ways the same or very similar, they are also in some more or less significant ways different from one another. So how do we reconcile these four stories that are different into a cohesive account in which everything that all four of them say is true and that there are no contradictions? Or is it important to even be able to do that? Today we're going to talk a little bit more about the importance of the women at the tomb that morning on the first resurrection day. Uh, but we're also going to explore all four of the other, all four of the uh, accounts in the four Gospels. We're going to point out some of the differences. We're going to point out some of the similarities, and then we're going to think about what that means for us as believers. That's what this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study is all about. So we had started looking into kind of a deep dive of Resurrection Day, uh, because as we said last time, about half of the Gospels, uh, more or less, really have to do with the last week of Jesus' life, and uh, you know from Palm Sunday through Resurrection Sunday, <laughs> and um, it is after all the most important part of our faith and our belief and our Christianity that Jesus rose again. If we don't have that, we have nothing. And so, uh, but but as we said before, the frustration is that Easter comes so quickly and there's so much that last week with uh, Palm Sunday and Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and then Easter comes and boom, it's gone. And uh, typically in most churches, you know, you'll get a sermon about Easter on Easter Sunday and then you're on to something else. Or in Sunday school classes, you know, you'll get on Easter Sunday a Easter lesson and then you're on to something else. And I've been guilty of that myself in my own churches and my own teaching and preaching. It's just the way it, the way it is. 
But you know, we're in a unique situation. We can kind of do what we want and spend as much time as we want looking into things uh, as a Sunday school class, and uh, we're not following a you know something that comes down from above for us to do every week. So I thought, well, this would be a great chance for us to really look at Resurrection Day because. Uh, last time we said there are things that happen in the morning that day, things that happen in the afternoon or, or early evening, and then things that happen later in the evening. And so let's take a look at all of that and really explore what was going on. I mean, it's the most important day of history, uh, period. And uh, what was happening and when was it happening and who was it happening to and so on and so forth. So I thought we could take a look at that. So last time we talked about Last time we talked about the women being the first at the tomb on that Sunday morning. We talked about how women were viewed at that time, and we talked about the, um, the role of the women and so on and so forth. Uh, something that's interesting I, I thought I would bring up today is um, to show you, to show you uh, in the culture of that day how significant it is that all four gospel writers chose to tell the story as it actually happened with the women being the ones who were the first to find the empty tomb, the only ones to be spoken to by angels uh, that day. And uh, that morning to be the only ones who saw Jesus. And to give you some perspective of how uh, that's and why that's important, if you want to turn over just quickly to 1 Corinthians 15, and we looked at this last time, but in a different context, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse uh, 3, this is Paul right now. 1 Corinthians 14, I don't know exactly the time frame. I should have looked it up, but Paul's writing it. So Paul was uh, there in Jerusalem when the crucifixion happened. He was then the persecutor of the Jews or the persecutor of the Christians thereafter and immediately thereafter. And then, of course, he was converted on the road to Damascus. So he's writing 1 Corinthians within his own lifetime. So it had to be within, let's say, the first 50 years of the resurrection that he's writing first corinthians i could look up the exact date but that's close enough for our for our for sake of what we're looking at here and so he writes here for what i received i passed on verse verse 3 uh, chapter 15 first corinthians for what i received i pass on to you as the first importance that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to peter and then to the 12, after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Ha! Who's missing from Paul's account of what happened on Resurrection Day? There's no women. No women mentioned. So within 50 years approximately of the resurrection morning, the women have already disappeared from the account of what happened that morning. 
Excuse me. That's Paul. But Paul is at this point, Paul is the evangelist, the spokesperson, so on and so forth. But it shows that in the culture that day, they they didn't see it as important that the women, what the women, the women's role in this. And it was important that the men participated in it. But my point of that is just to say this, and that is if the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wanted to lie about what happened that morning, if it was just a tale they made up, if it was just something they wanted to make it look like Jesus had actually risen from the dead when he didn't, and they conspired to write their own gospels of, of, what, of how that took place, they would never have had the women being the first there, the only ones who heard the angel speak, and at that morning, the only ones who, who, who saw Jesus. That would, they would not have written it that way. They'd have written it that Peter went there, or John went there and did that, or any one of the other disciples, or some other men would have been involved in all of that. Instead, where were the men in the stories that we hear in the Gospels? They were hiding. They were afraid. They were locked behind closed doors. As far as we know, only Peter and John even went to the tomb. So... Uh, I think that's just another point of credibility for the truth of what Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John wrote about at Resurrection Morning is that the, they have the women because it's the truth. They would never have written it that way if they were making it up in that culture of that day. So it's important. The women's role is important because at least it, 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 it gives us validity and credibility to what we read about what happened on you resurrection. Guys the sisters in the yeah, exactly. What's that? The five hundred brothers and sisters. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They get they get some not they get some not there at the end, but they shall but they shall remain nameless. <laughs> the sisters shall remain nameless as as it goes. So, okay. So what I wanted to do today was take a look at resurrection morning and what was going on at the tomb. Uh, in and around the tomb uh, on the morning that uh, the women went to the tomb. So let me ask you, what happened? Just give me the story as as you know it as best you can, somebody. Resurrection mm-hmm. Sunday morning. They were going to prepare GR to treat uh, Jesus' body, the women. Which is it really interesting because again you look at the situation where where were the men? They won't do that kind of stuff, and it you know and when you're going to a body, you did, they did a quick burial when uh, they took him off the cross, but he had sat there for three days. It would not have been a pretty picture. Uh, so they went to treat, uh, and they weren't even expecting. Him not to be there. They ran into the soldiers. And they wouldn't be preparing the spices if they expected them to be not there, right? Yeah. <laughs> they did not know that they had, the Romans had put that huge stone. Yeah. They knew that. They did know that. Well, if you in one of the in one of the we're going to read all four passages this morning. But in one of the passages, I think it's uh, Mark. Uh, they're saying, "Who's going to roll the stone away for us?" How's, how are we going to even get in there? Yeah. So they were having this conversation on their way that morning. Our lecturer at DSL said that if men had gone, they would have had a plan. 
Yeah. You bring this tool. You do this. You do this. They would just plan. True. Women just win. We'll just wing it. We'll just wing it. <laughs> well, and that wasn't at the time. It wasn't considered a manly thing to do. To prepare the, the spices. The role yeah. of the yeah. woman treat the was body so different. In fact, she was property. She was not an individual of worth. Because when you look at custom, women were not the primary thing. So although we see in through biblical history that there were some very well-known women, but the culture in the culture is still somewhat like that today. Uh, in Orthodox Jews, men, men and women sit separately. When you go to a Greek Orthodox church, women can sit on one side of the church, men sit on the other, and they cannot go behind the altar. They're forbidden. But their role is to be, uh, prepare the food after they have the uh, uh, they have a fellowship time. And now they prepare the bread for communion, but they're not allowed on the altar. You know, so we still see some of that in, you know, and like I said, with Orthodox Judaism, it, there's, the woman has more so th that custom is really important for us to take a look at. It still exists today in uh, some of those Middle Eastern countries. Yeah, a lot of religions do that. What is that oldest religion in Egypt, the oldest Christian church? The Coptics. The Coptics, yeah. they do that. Um, well, I, Greek but you also have to remember that the, the, the day that he was crucified, it was two men that took him down from the cross and wrapped him right. and put the, the spices and everything on him and actually put him in the tomb. So. And well, and and, pr and the part of the reason for that happening that way is that, as Joe said, they're in a rush. They have to get it done before sundown, before the Sabbath begins. They didn't have time for women to come. They, had, they just had to do it, do it the best they could, get it done, and they had a plan. Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus had a plan, as all men do, right, on their way. So. Well, she was talking about moving the stone, not as he said he did. Yeah, not the fact. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but that, yeah, right. But this is all part of the story of that that morning. So, so the women come to the tomb. I'm sorry, Stan. So they had a plan. It was to hide out and That's right. That was their plan. Stay, lay low. You know. So the women come, they prepare spices, they come to the tomb expecting to find Jesus' body. They know the stone's there. They don't know how it's going to get rolled away. Um, what, what else? Took well, the, you had the other issue for the men. They knew there was going to be a guard. The guard was there, right. You know, they knew that the Rome was going to, the, the word it was getting out. They're going to lie about it. They're, the politicians are going to lie. And make it look like we are kidnapping the body, you know, uh, kind of the politics of today. today you know. But th that's what they were really doing. And so they were hiding in a locked room because they were they were so in shock that they couldn't handle the fact that the teacher they had for three years is suddenly gone, and what are we going to do? Because who's going to teach us? Who's going to lead us? They were really dependent on Jesus. 
Well, you know, Jesus had a price on. Well, right, Jesus had a price on his head. Come get them next. Right. I will say that what I mean. There's a couple of versions about what happened that morning. Let's get back to the question. Uh, one of them is that there was an earthquake that made the stone roll away. The other version is they got there and the stone was already rolled away. Uh, I don't know where the guards were at that point, sleeping on the ground or something. They were scared to death and, by the angel. And then the angel was there sitting on the rock. Um, so, um, which whichever it is, I don't know that we really know. But when, the, when the angel showed up, the soldiers hit the ground, passed out, yeah. scared to death or something. They were out of there. They, they yeah, yeah, that was what happened at that point. Yeah. And then yeah. the angel didn't speak to the guards. He only yeah. spoke to the women. Right. I, I'm trying to picture also this this angel sitting up on this great, huge, yeah. big stone. Right. I mean, it would have been pretty high. If yeah. the stone was, how many tons was it supposed to be? It was big. I don't know. Yeah. Very big. Big and heavy. So that brings up an interesting point, too. I don't think we know for sure that the women were aware that there were guards on duty at the tomb protecting the the tomb. Uh, that happened, you know, he was buried, the stone was rolled away, and then at that point, you get the idea, although it's not specific, but the idea that, you know, at that point, the women who were watching, whoever was there watching, then once the stone was rolled away, they, they left the garden, but that and but during that time, then the religious leaders went back to Pilate and said, "You need to put a guard on there because we don't want the disciples coming back and his followers stealing his body and saying he rose from." They already were anticipating this as a problem, and we need to make sure it doesn't happen. And then Pilate assigned the the guards. So at that point, it's possible that the women had already left the garden, and when they went that morning, they knew the stone was rolled in front because they had seen that happen, but there's nowhere in Scripture that says they knew the guard was there. They found out after they got there that morning that the guard had been put there. That makes sense because there, there was a seal on it as well. Correct. Right, and they would have known if they broke that seal, they'd be in big trouble. Correct. So that, that really They had to go back and prepare for the Sabbath. Correct. Yes. yes. Yeah. And that the evening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you wonder if you know, knowing that there's a stone rolled in front of the tomb, you have to deal with that as one thing. Knowing that there's a cohort of Roman soldiers there guarding the tomb is another thing. And you wonder would they have gone to the tomb that morning if they had known that there were Roman guards there? That. You know, the Romans, after all, are the ones who crucified Jesus to begin with. Would they have gone to the tomb had they known that? That's a good question. I, I don't know. So yeah, they would have. They would have. Yeah. The women say yes. Okay, so I believe you. I believe you. I think that the guards are not so much a challenge as the seals. Because they couldn't break that seal. Right. It's, it's, all, it's all complication. It's all complication, isn't it? And yet, and yet they went. You know, the faith that somehow, I mean, I think this also shows their love for Jesus, don't you? Their devotion to Jesus. I mean, we're women. What can, as Joe put in, in perspective for, we're women. What can we do? Well, this is something we can do. So 
and I think women, you're better than this than men are. We're going to do whatever we can do. At least we're going to do that. And then whatever happens, you know. We're going to give it our best. We're going to, this is what we want to do. This is what we need to do. This is what we should do. We love him, our devotion to him. We've been with him all these. And, and it says that these are some of the women who were with him during his ministry. They had ministered to him. They had taken care of his physical needs and those are the like no these were the ones who were were there behind the scenes probably preparing the meals and doing the things and and this is what their role had been for the last you know year two three years however long they were following Jesus and now we still this you know now what can we do well, we can at least do this and and we'll just go and do we'll figure it out when we get there and it just shows their faith and devotion. Go ahead. It's kind of surprising, though, if they didn't know the guards were there, that they didn't take some men to push that stone out the way. The two women couldn't have done that. Well, both Mark and Luke say they were going to put give spice, put spices on the body. Right. And it says, uh, let's see, they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance? Yeah, right. they, so they knew. They addressed the stone. They address the stone issue, but they don't address in the scripture guards. anyway the guards. So. Right. Okay, so they get there. They get there. Uh, was the stone already rolled away when they got there? Did the angel? Did they see the angel roll the stone away when they got there? Did the earthquake make the stone roll away? Did the angel move the stone? Let's just say all of the above. It says very specifically that they came before sunup. So it was during the night that Jesus rose from the dead. And then there was a violent earthquake, and the angel of the Lord came down and rolled the back of the stone. Okay. So the earthquake and the angel sort of simultaneously. Okay. So then uh, the angel says he's not here, right? He's risen. And. The women do what then? Go tell the disciples. They go running crazy. <laughs> they got the and 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 so right now we're just saying the women really haven't identified who the women are yet, but some women we're not sure. We haven't as just yet we haven't looked into Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary. So Mary Magdalene is is named. So. And so do they do they all come back then and they all and and do they all come back and tell who do they tell? Eleven. Simon Peter and the other disciples. Oh John. Peter and John. Is it only Peter and John? This is this is Yeah, they're all there. It says returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So go ahead, Grady. I know you want to say something. I just wanted to say this is only one of the of the of the of the descriptions because one of them also says that they were weeping because they thought his body had been stolen, and they were weeping. And then Jesus comes up and touches her, and she thinks it's the gardener. That's a different different story. So okay, so this brings up a good point, though. So which is it? Uh, did. Mary go and uh, see the angel and see the empty tomb and they and they're and they're told that he's risen and then she was she was she one of the women who went back and did she and or they see just Peter and or John or did they see all the eleven and if they were telling them at that point 
that Jesus had risen from the dead, then why do we find Mary Magdalene later not knowing that he has uh, where he is, not knowing where the body is, crying because she doesn't know where the body is, where he appears to her and calls her name. If she had been there earlier to already see the angel and to see the empty tomb and went and run to them, this comes after. And in, 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 in it looks like anyway, by the, way, by the way it's written up, it looks like then she cut. So did she believe? Did she not believe? Did he appear? To, did she see the angel and not see the angel? Well, he wasn't there. She could have saw the angel and he wasn't there, but she didn't know where he was. Jesus, you mean? Right. She was crying when she thought somebody had stolen the right. body. So, so what we're saying is if the angel told her he's that he's risen, risen then why is she still... It's still Mary. One is Matthew, the other one is... It doesn't matter, though. It still has to fit together, doesn't it? You would think. <laughs> no. But it doesn't seem to. That's, that's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so then you have Peter goes, John goes, and then, uh, you know, they go in and they see. Uh, but as far as we know, none of the other disciples come. Uh, okay, we know who the two Marys are. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome. Is that James? James and, that's two different things. She's not the mother of James and Salome. She's the mother of James, comma, and Salome, who's a different person. Salome is the mother of, no, it's a different James. And Salome is the, we pretty much believe, is the mother of James and John, the disciples, James and John, Salome was. Not where they would sit in heaven. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and, okay, so, and so then uh, you have John who goes away, believing, Peter who goes away, he's still struggling with it. And then you have Mary coming back to the tomb, or now she, we have a story of her at the tomb where she thinks he's the gardener, but he's not, and he talks to her, and then she so, so the thing is, when we go, when we talk, when we have that Easter Sunday sermon, we just pick one, don't we? When we have Easter Sunday Sunday school class, we just pick one. Pick one of the one of the one of the story. We either pick Matthew's story and preach it, or we pick Mark's story and preach it, or we pick John's story, or we pick Luke's. We pick one of them and preach that. Yeah, don't you think that's kind of the beauty of the Bible? They give the person, you know, who wrote it. Just like kids playing telephone, you know. But the end result is what happens, you know. All the details are from their heart, obviously, but... And from their different personalities. Yeah. 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 Well, it's like somebody that sees a car wreck. Yeah, yeah, it's all yeah. different. All the different, how your mind's going, what's happening to your, yeah. But that first instance with Mary Magdalene and Mary, and the disciples come, and then John 20, before Mary stood outside, the disciples, it says they went back to where they were staying. So the disciples have been there and gone back. Mary went back, Magdalene, and then she's looking inside, outside the tomb, looking, and she's, you know, so it's, it's two different accounts of different times. Right, but the question is for us to kind of wrestle with is if she and Matthew was one of the women who went and saw the angel and heard him say, he's not here, he's risen, why is she then and John uh, unaware of this 
after Peter and John have gone to, to, see, uh, to see the tomb. So, um, but your point is, is well taken, and it's exactly right in many ways. And that is, if all four gospel writers had the exact same account, with the exact same everything happening, just like, you know, they were carbon copies of each other, then we would have to say, hmm, you know, uh, did they conspire to get their stories straight before they wrote this in, in thinking that, hey guys, we all, have to, we all have to give the same account here or no one's going to believe it, so let's, let's get our ducks in a row here and, and, and do it. I, I, I'm not a, a lawyer, I've never been in a court of law, but I've watched a lot of TV <laughs> with lawyers. <laughs> And, and the one thing I know is if two or more witnesses have the exact same story, it makes the detective or the lawyer question whether or not they're telling the truth and they didn't get together to, to come up with a story to tell so they, they would have the same information, the same details. So someone had their... Uh, Greg, yeah. Uh, we gave Paul a hard time about not mentioning women, but I... I'm going to bring up the fact how we miss what we have done in the U.S. Um, I spent 20 years in child abuse medicine. And it wasn't until 1974 that the federal government passed the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act. So you could beat your child up until 74. But what, what may impress you is that in when did women uh, develop rights, you know? I couldn't find it because I had it in oh, 1994. Oh, okay. That was the violence against women. So I could, you could beat your wife until 94. Hmm. Unless you killed her, yeah, you would have been tried for murder. Just try, other than that, just try it. Just try it. Is that something? Uh, well, I did. No. <laughs> <laughs> years later, we have come a long way just in recognition of women. And, I, uh, and, and, I, and they still aren't treated equal. Well, and it should not be uh, left unsaid, which it had been left unsaid, but my fault, but it should not be left unsaid that Christianity lifted up women way beyond where they were in society and culture at the time. Uh, Christians and, and, and Jesus and the way he treated women and the way he accepted women and lifted up women. And so, But it, it's, it's the Christian movement that, even if it wasn't codified like that, you still were taught through your faith that, you know, to treat women a certain way and women have certain respect. And they lifted, lifted up women into certain positions that they would never have been lifted up to before, so. So, so we weren't perfect, obviously, and there's still always room to do better. But I think we have to leave, give, at least give credit somewhat to the Christians for doing better than had been done before us in many ways. So but one of the problems with Christians, men were patriarchal. You could not be a pastor to be and be a woman. You could not serve on the board of deacons. You could not do a. You could teach Sunday school, but you couldn't do anything else because that's culture I grew up in. Because I was started out as a Southern Baptist, and I, I saw the light. But uh, yay! But uh, you know, 
it really bothered me because then when we started ordaining women, it was like, okay, some of the women are more educated than the, some of the pastors. Uh, and it just, I've, I'm a very inclusive person anyway, and I believe in we got to look at the person from where he or she is coming from. So women in the church and Christianity was slow to catch on. Yes, I agree. Well, it's still that way in a lot of churches. It's still that way. This this is still an argument that is still happening today in churches. Should women, can women be pastors, be ministers, or or not? And there are arguments on both sides of that equation, uh, and to each his own. But what I can tell you is that I came to Christ through Billy Graham, but I became, uh, I, I, I lived out my Christianity and my belief in a church that had a woman as a pastor. And uh, I was baptized by her. Jan was baptized by her. We were married by her. Uh, I think she was in, this is an American Baptist church in West Virginia. At the time I was in there, I started in high school. I think she'd already been there 20-some years. She was the daughter of a pastor. The American Baptist denomination allowed her to be ordained and to preach and to have her own church. And I think she passed away back in, I think, maybe the 80s. But um, up to that point, I think there had been something like 20 or 30 people who'd gone through her church who became pastors. So having lived through it, I'm convinced that God has a role for women to play in, in ministry. So I'm a-okay with that myself and other positions in, in the church. Uh, but again, I think we're, but, but there are the churches who, and Southern Baptists certainly are not going to probably allow that to happen. Do you know, do you know how we came to be American Baptists versus Southern Baptists? Before the Civil War, there was just general Baptists. We were all one happy family. And then the Civil War happened, and the Southern Baptists went with the South, and the Northern Baptists went with the North. And we were separated that way, Northern Baptists and Southern Baptists, for many, many years. And then the Northern Baptists decided at some point, we really need to have a more inclusive name than that. So they changed the name from Northern Baptist to American Baptist, and that's who we are now, American Baptist versus Southern Baptist. And generally speaking, the Southern Baptists are much more conservative uh, and, than the American Baptists are. And I, I'm not sure about the Southern Baptists if, if they're run by like a group, uh, but here in American Baptists, each church is autonomous. In other words, no one tells us who our pastor is going to be. No one tells us what to believe or teach or preach. It's up to each individual church to decide that for themselves. Now we gather together as an association American Baptist churches, like within Cincinnati, there's the Miami Baptist Association. All the American Baptist churches gather together to kind of help one another, support one another, and be there for each other. But no one says, you have to teach this, you have to believe this. You, each church, and in the American Baptist denomination, you can go from this church to another one down the street and be completely different in whether they're conservative or liberal or what they believe and all of this. So uh, that's kind of how that all broke down. Okay, so let's do this because we're running out of time. I don't know if we even have time to do this, but we're gonna we're gonna make time. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna we're gonna read through the four gospel accounts, okay? And you're going to see some very different things being described. And 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 you're right in terms of as you also said, Cheryl, there have been times when I've been in a meeting 
and several people are talking about the same subject, like we we're all in the room, saw something or, or heard something. Usually you heard something, and after you break out into small meetings, and the people describe what they heard said, and I'm like, were you in the same room with me? Because that is not what I got out of that. So this might all contribute to this. However, we have to be able to put the story together without contradiction, okay? That has to be able to be done. Now, is it easily done? No. But one of the great things about Scripture is, I think one of the reasons God doesn't give us a, a straight chronology of this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and this happened, and this happened, because if it's not given to us, spoon-fed, if it's not spoon-fed to us that way, it requires us to wrestle with it ourselves, to dig into it ourselves, to understand it ourselves. And we're going to read these four, and you're going to say, hmm, they all really sound really different. But there is a way to bring all the stories together and to have one overarching understanding of what happened on resurrection morning where there's no contradiction of any of this. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you are any of you are Star Wars fans, but you know when Star Wars came out, it was like one came out and, then it was, and that was number three. And then two years later, number four. And then they, they come out with one, one, two, and, and then they come out. And I try to watch all of them. And I'm so confused about what's happening with Star Wars. <laughs> and then they all go on to like Disney Plus or something. And now I say, you know what? I can watch them in chronological order now. And so I went online, I said, how do I watch Star Wars in chronological order? It tells you, this one for, and, and yes, I know, I wasted my time maybe, but I watched, I watched every Star Wars movie in chronological order. And you know what? It was like, boom, now it makes sense to me. I now get the story. So the, my point is, we're going to read these, and you're going to say, gosh, they sound so different. But we're going to come back next week, and we're going to put it all together. And I think you'll find when we do, it's even a better story than when you take four separate stories. So, okay, so let's go to Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And then we have the whole thing about the guards, which we won't take time to read that today, but that's also part of it. So the guards go and tell um, the religious leaders. Okay. So let's turn now to Mark uh, chapter 16. Mark says, 
When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they went on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. No angel there. As they entered the tomb, uh, they didn't enter the tomb in Matthew, did they? As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When, and then verse 9, when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Hmm. How do we deal with that? Out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Okay? So that's a little bit of a different story, right? Okay, so let's go down to Luke. Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Again, no angel. But when they entered, they entered here, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, so they're there like, hmm, what's going on? Then, then suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In, yeah, two. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, oh, we have a new name there. Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So no John running to the tomb there. So let's go to John then. So John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the... One thing we know. There's no doubt Mary Magdalene was there, right? Uh, went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loves, this is John talking about himself, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, what? This is the one. This is the problem. This is the problem. We they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't. If she heard the, if she heard the angel in Matthew say that, then why is she confused? All right. So Peter and the other, so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple went around Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. 
Finally, the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then we get into this issue. Verse 10. Then the disciples went back to Peter and John have already been there. Okay? They've already been in the tomb and they've left. And now we find who? But Mary Magdalene stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Well, what in the world? You were just there in Matthew, and you heard the angel. What are you talking about? At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to the Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. So do you catch the subtlety here? In Matthew, what do the women do when they see him? They clasp, they bow down, they clasp him, they clasp him, they hold him, they touch him. But here he says, don't, don't, I, I, you can't touch me yet. What? That's, that, that's two completely different issues there. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them uh, that, he, that he had said these things uh, to her. So there are the four. Uh, you're right, they're all somewhat alike, but they're all somewhat different. And some of those differences make you scratch your head, don't they? And the problem is, some unbelievers have used those differences to say that they uh, aren't true, aren't right, and you can't reconcile them. But they're wrong. And so next week, we're going to come together, and we're going to look at the big picture, and we're going to put together every single thing that every single of those Gospels said without one single contradiction. Do we have to wait till next week? <laughs> You'll have to use a little poetic license, but it's nothing extraordinary. And it will all, you'll, and when it's over, I think like I did, I said, it could have happened that way. It makes sense to me. It brings everything together with no contradictions. And it's even a better story when you know all of it uh, together at the same time. So, okay, so that's all I have for today. I'm giving you a little teaser for next week. So. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you. Peace be with you. Shalom.